that's, that's my favorite song. T- Tommy, what note's this? What note is that? That's all. Give it up for Tommy. He's amazing. That's all. There you go. Hey, I, hey, so before we get into this, I, I, you can see him later. Okay, so, uh, so uh, before we get into this, I got to tell you. So I, I, Rob and I, we've been babysitting my grandson Jonah. Did I miss to have a grandson? Yeah, yeah, he's the best. He's awesome. So, anyway, so we've been buying him a bunch of stuff, like all kinds of crap. I mean, just, just all these toys and stuff like that. And, and here's the thing is we've discovered is that toys are much different than when, when I was a kid. Like, like you push buttons down, they, they light up and they spin around and they teach things and they walk and they walk. They do all this crazy stuff. And that's different. When I was a kid, like we played with like rocks <laughs> and sticks and stuff like that. You know, we, we, I, I grew up before video games and, and TVs in every room. And I, when I was a kid, this is going to be weird. Some of you not going to understand. We used to like go outdoors, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's crazy. I know. But anyway. So we just make stuff up, right? Remember when you were little, you just make stuff up. You go out in the garage and get something and make stuff up. And, and I was really good at it. Like, like one of my favorite games growing up um, was, it's not politically correct, but pray for me. But it was, I played uh, Cowboy and Indian. And, and so I could take my, take my, my uh, and I'm, I have Native American heritage, so pray through your anger right now. But anyway, so, so I would take my mom's, like, or my, my sister's jump rope, and I could tie the, the jump rope to my, my, my bike. I had a stingray, blue stingray, banana seat, sissy bar. Anybody, right, right? You know how many speeds it had? One. All right. So when you went uphill, you know what you did? You pedaled hard. That's what you did. All right. So, but I could take these reins and I could steer my bike like a horse. And so I would ride around the neighborhood and people think, oh, there goes Jimmy on his bike. But in my mind, I'm wild eagle on my wild Mustang stallion riding around looking for white people to kill. Right. That's what I did. But look, I, I just want to scalp white people. And in my neighborhood, the white person I always wanted to scalp was Bill Godby, the kid who lived across the street. And so I should probably change the names because that's really his name. But, um, <laughs> so, hey, Bill. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, so Bill, Bill always built a fort in the yard. So he'd just take all the lawn chairs on the patio and, and, and he would just turn them on their side because that's what you do. All, every guy knows that. All right. So, and he would have a gun. He'd be shooting at me, but it was a stick and he always missed and stuff like that. But anyway, so I'd be riding in to, you know, to scout Bill. And so I had my tomahawk, but I didn't really have a tomahawk. So I went in the garage and I found something called a yard jart. Does anybody remember yard jarts? Because they're illegal now, okay? But you know, playing darts, like little, little darts. Well, this is a dart, but it's like this long. It's made out of metal. It weighs about four pounds, and you can kill somebody with it, all right? And so, so I would stick that in my belt. And so, so I'm riding in. There's Bill, bang, bang, bang. I'm, all right. So, and, I, and I'm screaming all that kind of stuff. And I take out my tom, my my tomahawk, and I wing it. Have you ever thrown something? And the moment you let go of it, you go, that's ah, not good. You know, what I'm saying, you know what I'm talking about, right? So I mean, you want to go, I need that back. But you can't, all right? And so that thing takes off like a scud missile at, Bob, at, at Bill's head. And he's like, oh, uh, and I'm like, oh, all right. And at the last minute, he like ducks and it sticks in the fence, like right behind his head. And I'm like, oh, no. I went up there and he's, he's starting to cry. And so I, I, you're like, easy boy. All right. And so I go up and I'm like, Bill, are you And he's like, Jimmy. And I'm like, I'm wild eagle. He goes, wild eagle, you almost killed me. And I'm going to tell your mom I'm narc, you know. So, so he goes and narcs his mom. And his mom tells my mom. And then I get grounded. And so now, now you have to make up new games when you're grounded because you can't ride your bike when you're grounded. So, uh, so one of my favorite games when I was grounded was this game called Would You Rather. Have you ever played Would You Rather? It's the best. All right. So, um, so here's, um, here, here's how the, the rules for, for, for Would You Rather go is that, is that you can play as a group or just with one other person, but you give this other person two options and they have to choose. Right? Would you rather do this or rather do that? And they're not allowed to look back and go, I'm not doing either. Eh, that's not how you play the game. You have to choose. I'm not saying you want to do that, but if you had to pick one or the other, you were forced to, would you rather do this or that? And when you're a little kid, it's no big deal. Like I look at Bill and go, would you rather be a fireman or a cowboy? It's like, oh, I don't know. And so he'd wrestle through that. And then it gets a little grosser the older you get. Like, would you rather eat lima beans or broccoli? Oh, neither. But you have to pick. And so broccoli is the right answer. But anyway, so, so, so then when you get, get older and you get into school, and I get, 
I don't know if this is just boys, probably, but everything turns into a bodily function. Everything has to do with boogers or something like that. And so, you know, you look at Bill or something and go, would you rather like touch that dog thing over there or, or eat a booger? And, so, and he, he'd be deliberating. Even, and I don't know why it's, it's really a question because everybody's eating a booger sometime in their life. All right. And my friend Dan says he hasn't, but I think he's a liar from the pits of hell. I do. Um, <laughs> Because everybody snuck one in the back seat. That's just, that's just true. So, so, but you say, just do that. But then uh, the older you get to, we'll get to Jesus in a minute. Just hang. I'm just kind of getting my thoughts out. And uh, the older you get, then, then at least with guys, it, it always turns sexual, which for a fifth grade guy kind of goes like this. Would you rather um, kiss Becky Impson or Cheryl Lout? <laughs> Again, that's the real names. Um, and, and both Becky, there are horrible options for a fifth grade boy. Let me tell you why. Becky Impson, um, she was a chronic vomiter, vomited all the time. Everyone went to school with one of those. Some of you going, I was her. All right, whatever. All right, so she vomited over everything. She'd be sad. She'd vomit. You'd scare her. Boo. She'd vomit. All right. She'd, she'd be nerd vomit. She'd give her tropical fish food and tell her it's gum. She'd vomit. All right. I, that's true. I got paddled for that. Um, she actually threw up in the, in the class aquarium. It was, but I got grounded. But, um, but no one wanted to kiss Becky. But Cheryl wasn't a better option because Cheryl ate paste and crayons. And again, we've all tasted a little paste in our life, right? But every day you go up to Cheryl and go, hey, Cheryl. And she go, hey. And they have purple stuff. And her lip would be glued together and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then Becky would look at her and vomit. Oh, purple. Yeah, and it, it was a vicious cycle. It's just you trapped in fifth grade. No, and here's the, no matter who you pick, your buddies would go, oh, you're going to kiss Cheryl. You love her. You're going to marry her. And then boom, 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 you get a fight and you get grounded. It's horrible. Fifth grade. All right. You with me? And then the older you get, it gets really twisted and gross. And it involves like, would you rather kiss your grandma or your dog? Any part. Right. Right. And again, the answer is kiss your dog. All right. <laughs> because, because otherwise Thanksgiving's awkward. It's just great. It's just gross. Anyway. So, uh, so you just do that. And then some of you are sitting here going, what is he talking about? Well, I thought, you know, last week was so wonderful. Scott talked about Jesus and baptism and, and now he's talking about my Nana and it's, I don't like this. So, so hang with this. All right. So keep going with Would You Rather for a few more minutes, right? Later in life, and, and you know what I'm talking about, it gets dark and morbid. You're sitting in the back of a bar or a restaurant and you're closing the place down or, or maybe you've gone camping or whatever and you're sitting around a, a campfire and somebody always brings this up. So let me ask you. Would you rather die from, and then they start throwing options out and you have to pick. Like, would you rather die in a plane wreck or drown? Ah. Then people start building the case for why, which one's better. All right. Well, and finally you go, that's, that's a good point. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with drowning. You know, it's things like that. And, and here's my whole point in this whole thing. There's a point, all right? Whenever you play the game, would you rather from the time you're a little kid till even if you play it now, um, the, both options are always bad. They're always bad options, and you're trying to figure out which one's the, the least bad. And the most common kind of line that comes out whenever you pick one, and then you get all this, you know, I can't believe you did that. Our, our biggest defense is, is this. Well, at least I didn't do that. Or at least I didn't do that. Or, or, or I didn't do what, what, what that other thing was. And, but the, the reality is about the game of would you rather is no matter what, you lose. No matter what, you experience something that's just really, really awful. I'm just trying to control the level of awfulness right? That's, that's what I'm trying to, the level of grossness, what I'm going to feel or have to live with after I do or experience whatever it is I have to do or experience in this, what would you rather, you know, choice. And that's where I want to go today. Actually, really, I want to throw one more, would you rather out there? And this all kind of points back to this, to Jesus and what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. I want you to don't, don't answer out loud. I just want you to think about this question for a minute. Would you rather go to hell for being a greedy, selfish person or being a pedophile? Would you rather go to hell for being a greedy, selfish person, takes you know, from the poor, stuff like that, or, or being a pedophile? And here's the thing. And if I were to put money on this, my bet is 
that almost 100 of us, 100% of us, me included, didn't even think about that. We went right to greedy, selfish person every time. If I have to choose, I'm going to hell for one thing or another. I'm going to go to, for being a selfish person, not, not, not being a pedophile. Even though, even though the Bible says nothing specifically about pedophiles and says tons specifically about greed and selfishness, revealing the condition of a person's heart and the hardest thing to overcome to get into the kingdom of God. And for the record, I'm not minimizing being a child molester. I'm just not going to allow us to grade on the curve, right? Or minimize being a selfish, greedy person. And again, I know what's going on in your head right now because I have the same conversation in my head all the time in situations like this. You know, you're sitting around a campfire going, this was bad, but this was not as bad. You're sitting here thinking right now going, whoa, whoa, you cannot expect us to believe that that's the same as that or that's no worse than that or that, they're, they're, that one's not badder than the other. Here, here's, what I, here's what I think. This is the point that I think Jesus has been trying to make in this, this opening talk. He's like first public speech or, or sermon, all right? All of which is going to set the tone for everything between now and the time they nail him to a cross. I think it can all be found in the first part of that would you rather question. It goes like this. Would you rather go to hell for and then stop there? Because what Jesus would say, no matter what you say after that, it doesn't matter. Both options leave you cut off from God under condemnation and eventually in hell. It goes back to what I talked about a couple weeks ago. If two people are hanging off the cliff by a chain, how many links have to break? One. And we can look at the other and going, well, that, that one's worse than my link, or I never did that one at least, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're both bad, but it doesn't matter. We're both as bad off when our chain breaks, right? And that, we don't like to hear that. We, we don't like to sit in rooms like this and people like, so we, don't, we don't like to hear that because most of us, we're, we're willing to sit in rooms like this and go, okay, I'm not perfect. I've made some mistakes in my life. But the way, a, the way a lot of us keep going and kind of justify what we've done up to this point is that would you rather thing of going, yeah, but at least I'm not like her or I've never done that or I'm not as bad as people that do stuff like that. And Jesus in this message or this, this speech that he's giving, which later is one of the reasons they nail him to a cross, he kind of blows it all out of the water. And this is what we've been looking at, because this is what Jesus has been teaching us over the last couple of weeks. He says this, if you want to be full of it, and here's what I mean, full of God, connected to God, live fully satisfied in God. And the, the word in the Bible is blessed, all right? But the Greek word it comes from is the word makarios. Jesus says it starts by admitting that you, that, that we all are equally poor in spirit. We're the same. Broken and empty inside. I can't fix myself. I can't fill myself up on my own, no matter how hard I try. You're not better than anybody else in the room. You're not worse than anybody else in the room. You're just broken and empty. And the reason, and the reason that causes us to stop throwing stones at one another and putting fingers in other people's chests and saying, you're worse than me on the would you rather scale is when we finally get to the point in our life where we go, I am empty. I'm empty. And the way I remember that is I am M-T, as in me too. I'm, I'm empty. You are too. Me too, right? And that's what Scott picked up last week was this. The, the only way to not be empty anymore is to, to, be, to be blessed, to be full of God. It's to kind of hand control, hand the steering wheel, hand the reins of your life over to God and say, you drive. Jesus, you drive. You control my life. To begin to hunger and thirst for what Jesus wants to fill us up with. Because Jesus alone can fill that hunger inside of you that's starving to be filled. And in these first four Beatitudes, these first four little sayings that Jesus gives us about this is what it looks like, Jesus is pointing to us and saying, well, this is truth. And this is the reality. This is what needs to happen in a person's life if they really want to live and be blessed and full of and connected to God. This is what it looks like. But over these, that, so that's the first four Beatitudes. But over these next four or five statements that are going to come out of Jesus' mouth, he's going to take it in a little bit different direction. 
we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks. More of a, kind of, kind of like this. If you understand what I just taught you in those first four things I just said, and you want to live your life out of those truths, kind of, you know, internalize them. He says this, then, then this is what it looks like externally. Everything we've talked about so far in here the last couple of weeks is what Jesus does in a person. Now Jesus turns a corner and says, and this is what it looks like if you live that out. And here's the first one, verse seven. This is Jesus talking. He says this. Blessed, so full of God, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown what? Mercy, okay? Now, now here's where all this kind of would you rather weird stuff I was talking about, and this is what it looks like to be full of God. This is where it all comes together. If you you read through your Bible and study through your Bible, you're going to see there there are these two words. All through the Bible, especially in the Jesus parts and after, all right, that these two words that always show up, and they're usually grouped really close together. And those two words are grace and mercy. You almost find them like you can, they can see each other from where they are in the Bible. It just, I, I, they just do. Like a couple of weeks ago, we looked at truth and grace. Those have to be, they can't be separated. Same way with this. Grace and mercy are, are usually always very, very close to one another. And I'll give you an example of this. One of my, my favorite verses out of Hebrews chapter 4. Look at this here on the screen. It says this. It says, let us, talking about us, all right? Let us then approach the throne of grace. That's God, okay? So let's approach God with confidence. So that, here's why we would go to God. So that we may receive what? Mercy and find what? Grace. There they are. Mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. I love this verse. This is a great verse. It's a great promise from God because this is what it says. It says no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard your life is, if you screwed it up or somebody else has screwed it up, no matter what you're going through, because of what Jesus has done for us in our greatest time of need, we have unlimited access to God. Maybe we didn't used to. Maybe we used to have to go to a special building or a special booth or talk to a special person or whatever. Will you go to God for me? Uh, no more. No more. Now, because of what Jesus did for us, we can go directly to God. And why would we do that? So we can receive mercy and grace in our, in our hardest times of our life. And just by definition, so we're all kind of working off the same page. Here's some definitions. Grace, all right? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You're getting something, you don't deserve it, but you're going to get it anyway. Like what? How about Salvation. How about forgiveness? How about being adopted as a child of God? There's nothing we can like lay before Jesus and go, does that get me in? I did that and did that and did that. Is that good enough for you to forgive my sins? No, no, you can't. You can't do anything to deserve it or buy it or earn it. But because of what Jesus did for us, God just gives it to you. Just ask for it. And by faith, he'll just give it to you. Grace is, is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, by definition, is not getting what you do deserve. Well, what, what, do you, what, what do I deserve? Well, I, I don't know about you. Here's what I, punishment, judgment, condemnation, separation from God. See, I know me. If I was God, I would look at me and go, really? Serious? How many times? I've told you like 27,000 times before. That's it. Go to hell. I, that, if I was God, that, that's what I would look at me and do. Because here's what it is. Sin, all sin cuts us off from God. And the wage of all sin is death. Okay. But because of Jesus, God doesn't give me death. He gives me mercy, not condemnation. There's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. He does not give me what I deserve. For the record, I don't want what I deserve. Do you? No, I want mercy. And that's what the last two weeks have been about in here. We're empty and broken, can't fix ourselves. Jesus shows up, cuts us a sweet deal, forgives everything, moves inside of us. And the result is we're full of it. We're makarios, blessed, full and connected with God. See, through Jesus and only through Jesus, we get mercy and grace. And then Jesus turns around. This is where we're going to go the rest of the day. It says, listen, if you understand, if you get me, if you understand what I've done for you, and you want to look, know what it looks like to live out of that blessedness of being full, 
of God? Here's what it looks like. I gave you mercy. Get up out of this room. Go out there and be merciful to other people. That's what it looks like. And the word merciful, just in case you're one of those like right in the margin of your Bible type of people, right? It's more than this warm, fuzzy feeling of, of, of pity or benevolence. It's more than an emotion of, oh, look at those poor children. I feel so sad. Bless their heart. I'll say a prayer for them. It may include that. It, it goes further than that. It's more than that. It's, it's a realization of, listen, I get it. In, in light of the mercy that has been poured out to me, the grace, the forgiveness, the love, the second chances that have been actively shown to me, the, the links that Jesus was in, I'm sure it was inconvenient to leave heaven and be nailed to a cross, but he was willing to do that for me. Because he did that, that leads me, that actually demands, in light of all the mercy I've gotten, to actually give mercy. To find people in need and not give them what they deserve, but give them what they need. Why would you do that? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus says, you want to know what it looks like to live, live out of being full of God, full of Jesus? Very simple. In one sentence, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, here's the thing is, I, I leave that up there a minute. All right. So I, I've read this, this verse. I've read these Beatitudes. I remember when I was a little kid in vacation Bible school, memorizing these things, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know how many hundreds of times I've read that verse right there. But here, here's the thing. The thing that really jumped out at me as I studied it this week, it looks like what Jesus is saying here, if you just look at that one sentence, it's like he's saying, okay, people, Christians, whatever, right? if, if you'll show some other people some mercy, then God will give you some. Then he'll give you some mercy. But it can't mean that. You know why? Because that violates grace. Right? Trying to, trying to, 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 to win or buy God's favor. God, I, if I do this for God, maybe then he'll give me mercy. I'll, I'll be a real merciful person. And then God will like, oh, okay, you've earned it. Here's some mercy back. And that can't be. See, it, so if Jesus is not saying, all right, if you'll be nice to people, God will be nice to you. Then what is he saying? And here's what I think. And anytime I say, here's what I think, you don't have to listen. All right. You don't have to believe this. You know, there he goes. Oh, here's what he, who cares? All right. But so, and there's people much smarter than me could probably blow this whole argument out of the water. But here, here's what I think. What, what if Jesus is saying this? And I think you can hang with me through part of this anyway. Wouldn't we all agree that there's some stuff that only God can do? You can't do. I can't. Like, like what? I, like forgive your sins. I can't do that for you. Wish I could. I would. I can't. All right. Wouldn't even count. You know, connect you back to God. I don't know how to do that. Uh, take away your condemnation. Mm, way above my pay grade, all right? So that's God. Only God can do that. And he can and has done that for some of us. Now, so condemnation is gone. It's off the table. But, but the truth is, the reality is for everybody in the room, even though God has forgiven us and removed the condemnation of our sin and mistakes, isn't it true that a lot of us are still living with the consequences of our sins and mistakes, Right? We're forgiven, there's still stuff. True? And I'll give you an example, all right? Like you get up out of this room and this afternoon, you go rob a bank. Let's just, let's just bring it into this crazy week. You can get up out of this room and go blow a city up, right? And then down the road, somehow you get really convicted about what you've done and you, you become a believer in Jesus Christ. You can go to God and through what Jesus did on a cross for you, you can be forgiven and your condemnation for your horrible crime, it can be forgiven. So for, between now and your funeral, you've got Jesus and after your funeral, you've got heaven. Write this down. You're still going to prison, right? You are, and you should, right? That's a consequence of your choices and your decisions and your sin. 
That, that's kind of that's hypothetical. Let's just bring it in here. You can, you can sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You can come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit as only he can. And he'll teach you that that's not his best for you. Sex outside of marriage is not his best plan for you. And you can get convicted about that. Ask God for forgiveness. And because of what Jesus did on a cross for you, God will forgive it. But you or she, are, you're still pregnant. Right? Right? Yeah. The reality is, all right, you're not condemned. God's not even judging you for it, right? The reality is, is there are consequences. Now you're 17 years old and trying to raise a baby. And it's, I'm not even saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm saying it's a really, 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 really hard consequence of some decisions you made, you know, last month or last year or whatever. And some of us have lived through, are living through that now. Here, here's one, right? Uh, some of us blew up our marriages. Just a bad season of life, bad whatever, bad, bad choices, right? We blew up our marriage, got divorced, married somebody else. And then down the road, we, we kind of, God being a teacher and stuff. And we look back and go, oh no, that, that's on me. Here's the thing, all right? You can ask God for forgiveness and he will forgive you. He's not saying go back and fix everything. But no, he will forgive you. Now from this point on, here we go. But now life, and some of you know this is true, life and finances and custody battles and X this and step that is really, 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 really hard to navigate. And figure out all the consequences of what happened 10 years ago. We're forgiven eternally. The consequences are here all afternoon. That's just true in this life. And see, again, this is one of those things that we as Christians, we don't like to hear. Don't, we don't, don't, don't teach that, Jim. What you, you want, what you want me to do, you want me to go through the Bible until I find a, a verse in the Bible that says something like this. If I'm driving down the interstate too fast and I pass a cop and here he comes, I want to ask God to not just forgive me for breaking the law. I also need and expect him to get me out of the ticket as well. That right, right? And then when he doesn't take away the consequences, you know, and a $250 fine or whatever, we look back at God and say, you're not a very good God. You're not going to take him very good care of me. And you don't love me very well, right? We've all had conversations with God in our head, especially in our car, right? We, we, we've all done that. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Oh, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Condemnation. There is no condemnation. That is off the table for you. But now if you understand that, the best way for you to receive mercy and grace in the pain and misery of the consequences that you're living through in your life, even though you're forgiven for them, the best way to get through that is to empathize with some other people who are suffering the consequences of their past sins and mistakes, or they're suffering the consequences of other people's sins and mistakes that fell on top of them and they had no choice. They're just living with somebody else's consequences. You can't take away anybody else's condemnation. Not your job. Only Jesus can do that. But once you realize what Jesus has done for you, you can come along somebody else and help them through what they're going through. And in doing so, you'll find, according to Jesus, you'll receive more grace and more help and more mercy from God and from people around you as you try to deal with the consequences of your life. See, that's, that's what Jesus is trying to build here. Here's what I mean. He's trying to build this, and this is what Jesus says all through, his, through his, 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 all of his talks. He says, I'm trying to build this community. It's different than any other community. This church, this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And here's what it looks like. Jesus takes away condemnation as only he can do, and all the rest of us help one another get back up and deal with the consequences of a messed up, jacked up, my fault, somebody else's fault world. That's the kingdom of God. Right? Later, and I, we're trying to stay in sequence of what Jesus teaches here, but I'm going to jump ahead. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's just a couple pages to the right. Jesus teaches this. It's really famous words. He says this, do to others what you would have them do to you. Some of you are like, oh, Jesus, Jesus said that? I thought it was Ben, ben Franklin. You know, but no, Franklin ripped him off. But Jesus said it, okay? 
Do to others, golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. What does that mean? It means this. In a messed up world full of consequences that never seem to get any easier, just get more and more and more and more screwed up. In a world whose motto seems to be do to others before they do it to you or do to others worse than what they did to you. Jesus comes along and says, how about this? Do to others what I have done in the past for you. And every day get up and you still experience that I'm doing it for you even today. What's that? Giving you grace and mercy in your time of need. Not because you deserve it or earned it, but because that's what you need. That's what it looks like. See, mercy, when you think about this, mercy is like ultimate me too. And here's what I mean by that. Of all the people on the planet who should be the most compassionate for hurting people, regardless of why those people are hurting, that's not our deal. It should be those of us who realize what has been done for us by Jesus, regardless of what we have done, right? And here's why mercy and Jesus like put them together. It's really ultimate me too. Look at this, Hebrews chapter two says this, for this reason, and they'll explain this in a minute, for this reason, he, talking about Jesus, had to be made like his brothers, had to be made like us, is what it means, in every way, been there, done that, just like me, all right, in every way, here's why, in order that he, Jesus, might become a what? Merciful and faithful high priest, and a priest is someone that connects us to God, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he, Jesus, might make atonement or payment for the sins of us, the people. Because he suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those, us, who were being tempted. And this is so, so good. Here's one of the reasons, according to the Bible, that Jesus left heaven, put on flesh, and that's that whole Emmanuel, God with us, God with skin on type of thing, all right? Here's why he did that. According to the Bible, Christ put on flesh so he could experience and empathize with us. So he could stand, he could represent, stand before the Father and represent our situation to the Father. He could stand before God on behalf of me and look at the Father and go, oh, Jim, I understand. I get it. What, what he's, what he's been, where he is, I've been there. I have felt that. I've faced those choices too. Jesus stands in front of God on our behalf and says, me too. Me too. So when later Jesus hands out mercy to you and me, he did it because he knew. And the reason he knew is because he'd been there and experienced it. He, he saw that mercy was what you and I needed the most because he'd been there. Now, go back to the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at the next sentence out of Jesus' mouth. Then I'll pull this together and we'll, and we'll go home. All right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. The next thing Jesus says is this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And here, uh, the, the pure in heart there, again, if you're writing in your Bible or in your paper or something, is referring to that washing and that cleansing, that purifying that Jesus does from the inside of a person, like in, inside, not like, well, I, you know, Jesus came in my life, I quit smoking, cussing. What, no, no, we're talking about what he does on the inside. And what, what, what Jesus is saying is that the result, according to Jesus, is once he does that, begins to purify somebody on the inside, that person begins to see who? God. When Jesus begins to change things in the inside, you see God, or at least you see God better and clearer than you did before Jesus started doing stuff in your heart. And if you put that together with everything that we just talked about all morning, it goes like this. When Jesus comes and lives in a person's heart and begins to purify and change them, they, we, we see God better. And when we see God better, we begin to see things, especially people better, the way God sees them. And the way that God sees people is this. He looks at us and, he, and he, this is what he sees. People that he loves in need of a savior to take their condemnation away. When he looks at you, you, you need a savior. And that's why he sent Jesus. But he also looks at us and he, and he sees people that he loves in need of mercy as they walk through the consequences of their lives, which is why he sends us to one another. 
What do you mean by us? I mean us. And I, I, it certainly doesn't, I'm not just talking about flat irons, it's, it's, but certainly hopefully it applies to flat irons. Meaning this, we're a community of people whose eternal condemnation has been removed because of Jesus, which Jesus says leads to, or should lead to, if you get it, to be in a community of me too people who mercifully help each other through the tough circumstances of life. They're temporary, but sometimes it feels like I'm not going to make it another day. Circumstances and consequences of daily life. That's what it looks like. And that's what Jesus is trying to, to, to build that's what it looks like to be full of God. What do you mean? Jesus saves eternally. We help each other pick up the pieces of our lives. Now, I want to jump a little bit further ahead in the story. Again, we're trying to take the, the life of Jesus in, in sequence, but we're going to jump ahead. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Let me kind of see, well, we'll hit this more in a few weeks, but let me kind of set this up for you. Matthew chapter 9. It goes like this. So Jesus has been walking around, and as he meets people, he says, come follow me. And, and, then, and then they follow him, and then over time, they begin to change their life. So he meets this guy named Matthew. Matthew writes this part of the Bible later, right? But, but Matthew has this reputation all over town of being this big sinner, right? All the religious people know about Matthew. But, but Jesus and he have a conversation and, and Matthew decides to follow Jesus. And then Matthew throws this big party, barbecue, whatever, out in his yard, all right? And invites Jesus and all of his friends who are also big sinners as well. So it's Jesus at a kegger with sinners, all right? I made that up. Pray for me if that offends you. All right, so anyway, all right, so, so he's at this big barbecue with people, with Matthew and all these other sinners, and the religious people in town find out about it, and they have a meeting. They have a meeting. What are we going to do? Jesus is over there with sinners. All right, so Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, and that's, that word's really important, saw this, they asked his disciples. I don't know how this happened. They're out there going, you go tell. You go, yeah, text him. I don't know. So, anyway, so they sent somebody up and go, hey, listen, go, we need to ask a question about Jesus. And by the way, this is the number one question asked of Jesus in the Bible. Number one, it goes like this. Hey, we have a question. So why does your teacher, Jesus, why does he eat with, and this is a big Jewish hospitality thing that you don't eat with bad people, you only eat with good people, and Jesus is blowing this out of the water. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, quick question. According to verse eight, Matthew five, that, that beatitude, we just looked at that. Who are the people who are gonna see God? And once they see God better, they're gonna start seeing people the way God sees them. Blessed are the, the pure in heart. Um, these religious people are not them. What, what do you mean? See, they don't see people the way Jesus sees them. They see these people that Jesus is eating dinner with as sinners in need of and deserving, because they got Bible to back it up. They deserve punishment and condemnation, which they are more than willing to help God out and dish out to people. But not Jesus. Look at verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said it, I love this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And then he quotes Bible verses to people who think they're Bible experts. I love that. All right, this seems good, all right? Go, go, go tell them. Go, go learn what this means, because obviously you've missed it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, the good people, but sinners. And the word sacrifice here would be a reference to this law. It's in the Bible. It says, if you sin, someone's going to pay. If you sin, someone's going to get punished. There has to be a sacrifice. But what Jesus is saying is this. Listen, I got this. And this, this guy, Matthew... Let me just make it clear to everybody in the room. Doesn't need you or you or you or you or anybody in the room to worry about his sin and condemnation. I have that covered. My job, right? What I desire, what, I, what I'm telling my people to do, and what Matthew needs is mercy. What do you mean? He needs someone to come alongside him who understands, who says, me too, who has been there. I've, got, I've, I've been the same place, Matthew, that you are in right now, who understands and will help him pick up the pieces of his life. Jesus says, that's what I desire my people to do. I'll do what I can do. You do what you can do. Now, I'm going to wrap this up with a very, very practical application 
and a challenge. And I'm going to lay it on pretty thick, just so you know, all right? Borderline Catholic Baptist guilt. I'm going, ready? So, <laughs> I'm trying to offend everyone today. So anyway, so here we go, all right? All right. And here's what I mean, all right? There's a danger in coming to church for a long time, okay? So you're going, like, uh, 20 minutes, yeah, right? So, um... <laughs> And here's, here's what, and you're going to see a bunch of people in the, head, in the room start nodding their heads in, in agreement with me, and you'll know, oh, you're church people. But here's the danger. It goes like this. If you come to church enough and sit through enough church services and sing enough church songs and read enough Bible verses and hear enough people like me stand up here and say whatever about God, eventually there's a danger of developing this mindset or this attitude of, oh, yeah, Jesus, heard it, got it, been there, done it. What else? Right? And we don't mean to. We don't, when it's not an intentional thing, we just start taking it, start taking Jesus for granted. I don't know when it happened. We just kind of get numb to the whole thing. And I'll give an example of this, all right? So I was a youth pastor for years and years and years. I went on this youth retreat, all right? And on the last night, I stopped doing this, but we used to do open mic night. Oh, they're, 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 they're horrible and entertaining. They're both, all right? So, so you put a mic up there and anybody wants to say something, can. So I remember, all right? So it's the last night and this one girl, and I didn't know her at all, all right? She walks up to the mic and she said, and I know this because it's kind of etched in my head. She stood up there in front of all of our kids and said this. It's hard to believe that just three months ago, I was a witch and a prostitute. And all the church kids went, oh, you know, because we're from Kentucky. It's like, they exist. They're real, you know? And they, we'd never seen anything like that. And they're like, people are crying. Oh, no, you know, whatever. So... So, you know, I, but, but Jesus changed my life. Now, a few minutes later, another girl from the youth group, she stood up, went to the same mic and said this. I've been a Christian all my life. I've never done anything really bad. I'm just bored with my faith and not sure if I believe in God anymore. And both girls, I watched them. They looked at each other across the room, totally unable to understand how the other one feels. Like, you did what? You feel what? And they couldn't, they couldn't get there. So as a reminder to... Both girls, if they're here today, all right? Or, or how about this? As a reminder to everybody in the room who falls on one end of the spiritual or emotional spectrum about, you know, who and what we all need and who and what we're all equally dependent upon, I want to throw a challenge out there. The last couple of weeks in here, you've heard Scott and I both use this phrase, kind of describing the attitude of a seeking, searching, grace and mercy needing people. And the mindset that, that the church needs to have goes like this. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That's all we got. I'm starving inside. I found food. If you're hungry, you sh- there, there's a place that can fill you up. Now, I think everybody in the room will agree with me on this, especially after this week, but it's a reminder. We live in a really screwed up world, don't we? I mean, it's, it's messed up. And, and it's been messed up and screwed up by sin. All right, and I'm not just talking about a person's sin, all right, or, or an individual's sin, although my sins and your sins have messed up some people and we've been messed up by some other people's individual sins. I'm talking about bigger than that. Our whole world is really messed up. And regardless of whose fault it is, let's just get really specific. There, there are a lot of people living right here in this neighborhood, in our community, Lafayette, in, in Denver, Boulder County, Colorado, whatever you want, right? And they're suffering the consequences of sins. Maybe they, they've, they've committed some sins and now they're living with the consequence of their own mistakes. Maybe, maybe there's people in this community that are living with the consequences of their parents' sins. They should have been better parents and they weren't. Consequences of bad bosses and industries and things like that who were supposed to take better care of them but, but didn't. And now the consequences have fallen on individuals and families in this community. Now, here's the truth. There comes a point, or there needs to come a point in the life of a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a follower of Christ, whatever you want to call yourself, 
A person who says, I want to be full of God. I want to live in Makarios. There has to come a point where, where they, you know, let's just say, where we are able to push aside, having to know and explain all the whys and how comes of why people are suffering. Why is that family suffering? Why is that kid over there suffering consequences? There has to come a time where you let go of that. There also has to come a point in the life of a follower of Christ who's saying, I want to be full of God, where, they let, where we let go of our need to hand out judgment and fix people and take it upon ourselves to change and convert everybody. Just leave that to God to sort out. There has to come a point for that. And there has to come a point in the life of a follower of Christ where we can simply say this, I get it. And in light of the mercy and grace that's been poured out to me, shown to me, there's one. I, I can see a person that God loves right over there and they're suffering and they need help and they need mercy. It's not really my deal what they deserve. What they need is grace and mercy. Followed by this. So what can I do? What can I do to demonstrate to them what Jesus has done for me? What, what external, you know, evidence, what action can I, I'm not talking about, I'll pray for them or I'll remember them or I'll think about them. Or, no, 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 no. What external action step can I take that is to the best of my ability, directly proportional to my understanding of the mercy that I have received from Jesus? I can't save anybody, but what can I do to show mercy to somebody? Here's, here's my challenge. How about this sister, Carmen Food Drive? Now, here's what I mean by that. Let me just say it a different way, all right? Would you rather, it's back, all right? Um, would you rather feed a child whose mother and father is a deadbeat, spends all their money on getting high, ought to be a better parent, but they're not? Or would you rather feed a child whose mother and father work really, really, really hard, then things went south, they got laid off, but they're trying really hard to find a job, but they can't, and there's no money and there's no food in the house? Which, one, which kid would you rather feed? And before you answer, the reality is, regardless of whose fault or why there's no food in the house, the truth is, the reality is, both children in both houses are both hungry. That's just true. So over the past few weeks, you know, I, <laughs> I've become very aware that a lot of the world has their eyes focused on flat irons, apparently. All right? Uh, we're being watched. And... Um, that's all I'll say. We, uh, <laughs> we're being compared to a lot of religious organizations out there, a lot of Christian organizations out there who are out there yelling truth and ignoring grace or, you know, ignoring truth and just yelling, all the oxen free, doesn't matter, you know. So, and we're being compared to all of that. And that's not my deal. That's their deal. But here's the thing. I, people can argue about what you believe about God. They can, they can argue about what you believe about that and that. And do you think that's right or that's illegal or blah, 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 blah. Okay, but, but nobody can argue with this. And this is what I think Jesus wants us to walk out of here with today. I think we could all agree with this. There is or there needs to be a community that's trying to or beginning to understand how Jesus feels about everybody, about all people, and what Jesus has done for and offers all people. And because we get it, because we, of that understanding of Jesus, those people, that community... This place gets up out of this religious building and puts down our Bibles. We've got enough verses. Puts down our Bibles and goes out and does something helpful in the world, even in a small way to make a difference for others, because we understand, finally, what Jesus has done for us. There has to come a point where we go do that. Now, I've got to put it in another way, all right? Let me go back to what Scott, and I, what Scott said last week about this whole blessed art, all right? It's hard to pretend that you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and ignore the reality that we are surrounded by kids and families who hunger and thirst for food. And it's really hard, and I would say it's really hypocritical, for us to ask God, please listen to my story and give me mercy 
if we're not willing to listen to somebody else's story and be merciful as well. into our marriage when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer after the divorce after six years of hard work i did everything i was supposed to i was living the american dream but when i got sick the recession hit my husband died of a heart attack my company downsized and let me go my son was arrested our lives turned upside down i had to choose between buying food and paying rent and i woke up one morning with nothing my ex-husband skipped out on paying child support i spent a year job hunting but no one was hiring At 65, I never imagined I would again be responsible for taking care of two small children. As I slowly ate through my savings, my friends began turning their backs on me. Stability quickly turned to chaos. It became impossible to love her well and work full-time. My income wasn't enough to support my two kids. Trying to pay the hospital bills on half the income drove my family to poverty. I couldn't keep up with the bills. The world slipped through my fingers. My sense of self-worth vanished. The last of my joy disappeared when I received the eviction notice. Losing my job stung. Losing my house hurt. Losing my community was devastating. As I slowly sunk into debt, not only did my healthy road, so did my dignity. And before I knew it, we were living out of my car. And I had long ago lost hope of being hired anywhere else. When I reached my dead end. When I landed at rock bottom. When I didn't know where else to turn. I found Sister Carmen. I found Sister Carmen. I found Sister Carmen. They offered my family the food we so desperately needed and gave me the tools that I needed to get back on my feet. They came alongside me in my time of need. And offered a helping hand. When I was empty. Alone. Desperate. Shattered. Depressed. And sick. Sister Carmen helped restore everything I had lost. Everything. 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 I know I'm a little biased, but I think we have some of the best high school, middle school students in the world in this church. I really do. The reason we do a food drive is because several years ago, our students actually, yeah, you can give it up for them. That's all right. Good. I agree. Most of you weren't here the first year we did a food drive. It's because our high school students, they got really, really convicted about making a difference in the world. And they came to the church and said, can we make a difference in this community? And that's why we've done that for the last six or seven years. Now, let me just drive this home a little bit more in case you're not convicted yet. Because you're a horrible person. But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> we'll edit that out. Uh, so, um, by show of hands, audience participation. Yay. Okay, so, by show of hands, everybody's got to participate. How many people can relate to any of the examples or situations mentioned in that video, either yourself because you or someone you love has ever been there and experienced tough times in their life? Anybody? Anybody else? Look around. Okay, that's almost all of us. Question. What'd that feel like? Remember? And what did you need in that moment? Hang on to that. Second question, again, by show of hands, who in here has ever committed a sin? Go. Okay, leave them up, leave them, leave them up. Leave them. I'm not done, all right? Uh, ten or more. 
a hundred or more sins in your whole life. Real, really? Yeah, all right. How, yeah. So many that you lost count years ago. Go. Claire, look around. Okay, now. Now, what did that feel like when you remember that? Followed by this. What did you need? What did you ask for? And what did you receive from God? Hang on to that. Last weekend in here, almost 600 people walked down here and were baptized, symbolizing, I get it. Finally, I understand what Jesus has done for me. And over the last several years, thousands of others have said, you know, I, I understand too. I get it. I align myself with Jesus. He has, he has poured mercy and grace into my life. He's changed my life. Next week at the end of the service, let me just tell you how it's going to end. We're going to take communion together. Jesus had this idea. He knows we're going to forget. He says, every once in a while, I'll take, take, take some bread and take some juice. And I want you to remember the grace and mercy that I have poured out to you, that you received from God because of what Jesus did for you. So how about this? What if, before we do that, before we come in here and do communion, like we've done all the time, what, what, what if we demonstrate that we finally really do understand what Jesus has done for us by before we come take communion, what if we go do unto others first? What do you mean? What if before you come in here and sing a song or read a Bible verse, we pack out the lobby with food and then we come in here and take communion because I think that will make communion mean more to us next week than maybe it has in a long time. And let me speak to parents, all right? Parents are always saying, I'm trying to figure out how to lead my kids well, spiritually you know, lead my kids well in a really, really, really crazy world. How about this, parents? You see your kids down and go, I know the world feels really, really, really bad. And there's a lot of bad people out there, but it's not all bad. And we're going to go shopping together because this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden your kids go, oh, and, and you're a spiritual leader in your home. See, we can do this. And again, we, we've done this food drive for the last five or six, maybe seven years, okay? And, I, and, I, and I, I just don't want it to become commonplace. Usually we do it at the end of the summer. But, but, but here's the thing, all right? Uh, the, the shelves, Sister Carmen has, has contacted us. The shelves are almost empty now. Not August, now. So we moved it up. A lot. Next week. Next weekend. Short notice, but we can do it. We can do it bigger and better than we've ever done it before. And here's how and why. What if, what if next week we make this food drive kind of a big statement? Not, not to the daily camera. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm, pray for me. All right. Um, they wouldn't cover it anyway. But anyway, so... Um, and not to the critics of flat irons, but how about this? Not, not even to the people in Colorado that are really, really, really hungry and want to feed their children. I mean, I hope that they get the message, but let's go bigger than that. What if we use this food drive next weekend as a statement to God, not as an attempt to get God to do something for us, but as a statement of, I get it, I understand how much God has already done for me. And anytime you act out of what you realize God has already done for you, you know what that's called? Worship. It's called an act of worship. What if, what if you walked into that lobby next week with this attitude? Jesus, you have given me not just one small got it on sale can of mercy and grace. It's pressure, isn't it? All right, so I'm getting not a, not a little, the smallest grocery bag full of grace and mercy I could find. Not a shopping cart full of grace and mercy. No, no, I've gone with a bunch of people. You've given me like a trunk full of mercy, a pallet full, a truck full, a lobby full, stacked to the rafters, spilling out the parking lot doors full of mercy and grace. I talked to a guy last night. This is my second time here. I'm bringing a pickup truck next, next week. Second time ever being here. I'm talking about this. If I were to bring that much food into this lobby next weekend, my family, we'd have to sacrifice something we already have planned. We'd have to adjust our plans and finances this week to make it happen because we can't afford to do both. That's how much. An inconvenient, intrusive cost me so much I have to let go of something else in order to give that much mercy. Why, why, why would you do that? 
because you get it. Finally, I get it. I'm full of God. I've received mercy. God, here's my prayer. Help me to become a merciful person to those who need help. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing two songs. We're going to go out. When you go out, all our students are at the back doors out there. They've got a grocery bag and a list of, of the supplies. And, and there's all, they're also online if you lose them, because I always lose stuff like that. But I, I have a couple of messages. One is that Sister Carmen's has said they have plenty of green beans. So don't, don't bring any more of uh, those. All right. I don't know. And this is from me. This isn't from... But I, I, what I've discovered is that even starving people don't like hominy. So don't bring that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't like hominy either. And... Uh, that's not in the Bible, but it should be. All right. Um, just bring, bring, bring everything you can. Uh, now, uh, I'm, I'm going to close with prayer. Hey, let me just say this. I love our band. I love the music here. And, and our band and all, all our music is led by a guy named Randy Pierce, who's a great musician, but he also has a great heart and he's a great leader. And he was scheduled to be up this week. And then yesterday he got a phone call. His brother died of cancer out in California. And, uh, you know, we, we say stuff like this all the time. You know, how God can use even the most horrible things for something good. So his brother's been suffering from cancer for, for several years now, but God has used cancer to bring their family back together. Randy is the spiritual leader of that whole extended family. He's carrying a lot of weight. He's getting in a car probably this afternoon driving to California to kind of hold that family together in, in, in the name of Christ. Will you just pray for him? Lift him up and be, pray for mercy and grace on his life because there's a lot at stake in what he's doing. More than a funeral, a whole family is trying to figure God out right now. So just uh, we love him and that's all you need to know. Facebook him if you want. Um, I'm gonna pray. We're going to sing two songs, and then we're going to go shopping. Not for Hominy. All right. (laughs) Let's pray. God, I love you so much. Here's why I love you. I mean, the list is long. I love you because I know me, and I know what I deserve. And if I were you, I know what I would do to me. And I'm not being a martyr. I'm not trying to be, you know, pious or something like that. I really, I I can find verse after verse that says, if you do that, this is what happens. And I've done... I've invented new sins. I've, I've just done so much, God, that if I were you, I'd just look at me and be very disappointed. But instead of disappointment and wrath and condemnation, instead of a lecture and instead of a I told you so, whenever we come to you, you give us love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. You give us a second chance and a third chance and then a, whatever comes after a infinity. <laughs> I mean, you just give us chance after chance and there's never an I told you so. There's just an I love you. Here we go again. And that's called mercy and grace and we need it desperately. And as we understand that more and more and more, God, we also look around our world, and this week has made it very, very obvious that it's a really jacked up, screwed up world. We can't fix the world, we can't change the world, but we can find one person or one family that we can make a difference in their life in your name. We'll let you sort out their condemnation, we'll let you sort out their sin, that's not ours, that's yours, but we will give them what they need, just like you've done for us. We love you. Please continue to build this place in a place that looks something close to what you had in mind. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.